Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. a children's fantasy novel by George MacDonald. When we left off, Princess Irene receives a magical, refreshing, and healing bath from her mysterious grandmother after her long ordeal saving Curdie from the goblins. Curdie goes home to discuss everything that happened with his parents. They can tell that he is angry at how the princess seemed to be making up fanciful stories about serious matters. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. his parents sat silent at the kitchen table for some time. They were pondering the strange tale he had just told them about how he escaped from the underground land of the goblins, and about Princess Irene, and how she believed in wild things Curdie did not. At last, Curdie's mother spoke. You confess, my boy, she said. 
There is something about the whole affair you do not understand. Yes, of course, mother, he answered. I cannot understand any of it, really. Then you have no right to say what she told you was not true. There is something you cannot explain, and her explanation may be the right one. It's no explanation at all, mother, and I can't believe it. Perhaps some people can see things other people can't see, Curdie, said his mother very gravely. I think I will tell you something I saw myself once, only perhaps you won't believe me either. Oh, mother, mother, cried Curdie bursting into tears. I don't deserve that, surely. But what I am going to tell you is very strange, persisted his mother. And if having heard it, you were to say I must have been dreaming. Do tell me, mother. Perhaps it will help me think better of the princess. That's why I am tempted to tell you replied his mother. But first, I may as well mention that, according to old whispers, there is something more than common about the king's family. And the queen was of the same blood, for they were cousins of some degree. There were strange stories told concerning them. All good stories, but strange very strange. What they were, I cannot tell, for I only remember the faces of my grandmother and my mother as they talked together about them. There was wonder and awe, not fear, in their eyes, and they whispered and never spoke aloud. But what I saw myself was this, your father was going to work in the mine one night, and I had been down with his supper. It was soon after we were married, and not very long before you were born. He came with me to the mouth of the mine, and left me to go home alone, for I knew the way almost as well as the floor of our own cottage. It was pretty dark, and in some parts of the road, where the rocks overhung nearly quite dark. But I got along perfectly well, never thinking of being afraid, until I reached a spot you know well enough, Curdie, where the path has to make a sharp turn out of the way of a great rock on the left-hand side. When I got there, I was suddenly surrounded by about half a dozen of the cob animals, the first I had ever seen, although I had heard tell of them often enough. One of them blocked up the path, and they all began teasing me in a way it makes me shudder to think about now. If I had only been with you, cried father and son in a breath. The mother gave a funny little smile and went on. Some of the goblins came out with the creatures, too, 
and I must confess at that point I was very frightened. Suddenly, a great white soft light shone upon me. I looked up. A broad ray, like a shining road, came down from a large globe of silvery light, not very high up. Indeed, not quite so high as the horizon. So it could not have been a new star or another moon or anything of that sort. The cobs dropped persecuting me and looked dazed, and I thought they were going to run away. But presently they began again. The same moment, however, down the path from the globe of light came a bird, shining like silver in the sun. It gave a few rapid flaps first, and then, with its wings straight out, shot, sliding down the slope of the light. It looked to me just like a white pigeon. But whatever it was, when the cobs caught sight of it coming straight down upon them, they took to their heels and scampered away across the mountain, leaving me safe, only frightened. As soon as it had sent them off, the bird went gliding again up the light, and the moment it reached the globe, the light disappeared, just as if a shutter had been closed over a window, and I saw it no more. But I had no more trouble with the cobs that night or ever after. How strange! exclaimed Curdie. Yes, it was strange, but I can't help believing it, whether you do or not, said his mother. It's exactly as your mother told it to me the very next morning, said his father. You don't think I'm doubting my own mother, cried Curdie. You know, there are other people in the world quite as well worth believing as your own mother, said his mother. I don't know that she's so much the fitter to be believed that she happens to be your mother, Mr. Curdie. There are mothers far more likely to tell lies than the little girl I saw talking to the primroses a few weeks ago. If she were to lie, I should begin to doubt my own word. But princesses have told lies as well as other people, said Curdie. Yes, but not princesses like that child. She's a good girl, I am certain, and that's more than being a princess. Depend upon it, you will have to be sorry for behaving so to her, Curdie. You ought at least to have held your tongue. I am sorry now, answered Curdie. You ought to go and tell her so then. I don't see how I could manage that. They wouldn't let a minor boy like me have a word with her alone, and I couldn't tell her before that nurse of hers. 
she'd be asking ever so many questions, and I don't know how many the little princess would like me to answer. She told me that Ludie didn't know anything about her coming to get me out of the mountain. I'm certain she would have prevented her somehow if she had known it. But I may have a chance before long, and meantime, I must try to do something for her. I think, Father, I have got on the track at last. Have you indeed, my boy? said Peter. I am sure you deserve some success. You have worked very hard for it. What have you found out? It's difficult, you know, Father, inside the mountain, especially in the dark, and not knowing what turns you have taken to tell the lie of things outside. Impossible, my boy, without a chart, or at least a compass, returned his father. Well, I think I have nearly discovered in what direction the cobs are mining. If I am right, I know something else that I can put to it, and then one and one will make three. They very often do, Curdie, as we miners ought to be very well aware. Now tell us, my boy, what the two things are and see whether we can guess at the same third as you. I don't see what that has to do with the princess, interposed his mother. I will soon let you see that, mother. Perhaps you may think me foolish, but until I am sure there is nothing in my present fancy, I am more determined than ever to go on with my observations. Just as we came to the channel by which we got out, I heard the miners at work somewhere near, I think down below us. Now, since I began to watch them, they have mined a good half mile in a straight line, and so far as I am aware, they are working in no other part of the mountain. But I never could tell in what direction they were going. When we came out in the king's garden, however, I thought at once whether it was possible they were working toward the king's house, and what I want to do tonight is to make sure whether they are or not. I will take a light with me. Oh, Curdie, cried his mother, then they will see you. I'm no more afraid of them now than I was before rejoined Curdie. Now that I've got this precious shoe, they can't make another such in a hurry, and one bare foot will do for my purpose. Woman as she may be, I won't spare her next time. But I shall be careful with my light, for I don't want them to see me. I won't stick it in my hat. Go on, then and tell us what you mean to do. I mean to take a bit of paper with me and a pencil and go in at the mouth of the stream by which we came out. I shall mark on the paper as near as I can the angle of every turning I take until I find the cobs at work 
and so get a good idea in what direction they are going. If it should prove to be nearly parallel with the stream, I shall know it is towards the king's house they are working. And what if you should? How much wiser will you be then? Wait a minute, mother dear. I told you that when I came upon the royal family in the cave, they were talking of their prince. Rabbit, they called him. Marrying a sun woman. That means one of us. One with toes to her feet. Now, in the speech, one of them made that night at their great gathering, of which I heard only a part. He said that peace would be secured for a generation at least by the pledge the prince would hold for the good behavior of her relatives. That's what he said. And he must have meant the sun woman the prince was to marry. I am quite sure the king is much too proud to wish his son to marry any but a princess, and much too knowing to fancy that his having a peasant woman for a wife would be of any great advantage to them. I see what you are driving at now, said his mother. But, said his father, our king would dig the mountain to the plain before he would have his princess the wife of a cob, if he were ten times a prince. Yes, but they think so much of themselves, said his mother. Small creatures always do. The bantam is the proudest cock in my little yard, his father said, and they would keep her alive for the sake of the hold it gave them over our king. Whatever he did to them, they would threaten to do the same to the princess. Anyhow, I will keep a watch on them and see what they are up to, said Curdie. I daren't let myself do it, but they shan't have her, at least if I can help it. So, mother dear, my clue is all right. Will you get me a piece of paper and pencil and a lump of peace pudding, and I will set out at once. I saw a place where I can climb over the wall of the garden quite easily. You must mind and keep out of the way of the men on the watch, said his mother. That I will. I don't want them to know anything about it. They would spoil it all. The cobs would only try some other plan. They are such obstinate creatures. I shall take good care, mother, so you needn't mind them. His mother got him what he had asked for, and Curdie set out. Close behind the door by which the princess left the garden for the mountain stood a great rock, and by climbing it, Curdie got over the wall. He tied his clue to a stone just inside the channel of the stream and took his pickaxe with him. He had not gone far before he encountered a creature coming towards the mouth. The spot was too narrow for two of almost any size or shape, and besides, Curdie had no wish to let the creature pass. So he had a severe struggle with him before he subdued the creature. 
I need not follow him farther in this night's adventures. He returned to his breakfast, satisfied that the goblins were mining in the direction of the palace, on so low a level that their intention must, he thought, be to burrow under the walls of the king's house and rise up inside it in order, he fully believed, to lay hands on the little princess and carry her off for a wife to their prince rabbit. Chapter 24 Irene Behaves Like a Princess When the princess awoke from the sweetest of sleeps, she found her nurse bending over her, the housekeeper looking over the nurse's shoulder, and the laundry maid looking over the housekeeper's. The room was full of women servants, and the gentlemen at arms, with a long column of servants behind them, were peeping or trying to peep in at the door of the nursery. Are those horrid creatures gone? asked the princess, remembering first what had terrified her in the morning. You naughty, naughty little princess, cried Ludie. Her face was very pale, with red streaks in it, and she looked as if she were going to shake her. But Irene said nothing, only waited to hear what should come next. How could you get under the clothes like that and make us all fancy you were lost and keep it up all day too? You're the most obstinate child. It's anything but fun to us, I can tell you. It was the only way the nurse could account for her disappearance. I didn't do that, Ludy, said Irene, very quietly. Don't tell stories, cried her nurse quite rudely. I shall tell you nothing at all, said Irene. That's just as bad, said the nurse. Just as bad as to say nothing at all is to tell stories, exclaimed the princess. I will ask my papa about that. He won't say so, and I don't think he will like you to say so. Tell me directly what you mean by that, screamed the nurse, half wild with anger at the princess and fright at the possible consequences to herself. When I tell you the truth, Ludy, said the princess, who somehow did not feel at all angry, you say to me, don't tell stories. It seems I must tell stories before you will believe me. You are very rude, princess, said the nurse. You are so rude, Ludy, that I will not speak to you again till you are sorry. Why should I, when I know you will not believe me, returned the princess. 
for she did know perfectly well that if she were to tell Ludie what she had been about, the more she went on to tell her, the less she would believe her. You are the most provoking child, cried her nurse. You deserve to be well punished for your wicked behavior. Please, Mrs. Housekeeper, said the princess, will you take me to your room and keep me till my king papa comes? I will ask him to come as soon as he can. Everyone stared at these words. Up to this moment, they had all regarded her as little more than a baby. But the housekeeper was afraid of the nurse and sought to patch matters up, saying, I am sure, princess, Nursey did not mean to be rude to you. I do not think my papa would wish me to have a nurse who spoke to me as Ludie does. If she thinks I tell lies, she had better either say so to my papa or go away. Sir Walter, will you take charge of me? With the greatest of pleasure, princess, answered the captain of the gentlemen-at-arms, walking with his great stride into the room. The crowd of servants made eager way for him, and he bowed low before the little princess's bed. I shall send my servant at once, on the fastest horse in the stable, to tell your king papa that your royal highness desires his presence. When you have chosen one of these under-servants to wait upon you, I shall order the room to be cleared. Thank you very much, Sir Walter, said the princess, and her eye glanced towards the rosy-cheeked girl who had lately come to the house as a scullery maid. But... When Ludie saw the eyes of her dear princess going in search of another instead of her, she fell upon her knees by the bedside and burst into a great cry of distress. I think, Sir Walter, said the princess, I will keep Ludie, but I put myself under your care and you need not trouble my King Papa until I speak to you again. Will you all please to go away? I am quite safe and well, and I did not hide myself for the sake either of amusing myself or of troubling my people. Ludie, will you please to dress me? Chapter 25 Curdie Comes to Grief Everything was for some time quiet above ground. The king was still away in a distant part of his dominions. The men-at-arms kept watching about the house. They had been considerably astonished by finding at the foot of the rock in the garden the body of the goblin creature slayed by Curdie but they came to the conclusion that it had been slain in the mines and had crept out afterwards 
and except an occasional glimpse of a live one, they saw nothing to cause alarm. Curdie kept watching in the mountain, and the goblins kept burrowing deeper into the earth. As long as they went deeper there was, Curdie judged, no immediate danger. To Irene, the summer was as full of pleasure as ever, and for a long time, although she often thought of her grandmother during the day and often dreamed about her at night, she did not see her. The kids and the flowers were as much her delight as ever, and she made as much friendship with the miners' children she met on the mountain as Ludie would permit. But Ludie had very foolish notions concerning the dignity of a princess, not understanding that the truest princess is just the one who loves all her brothers and sisters best and who is most able to do them good by being humble towards them. At the same time, she was considerably altered for the better in her behavior to the princess. She could not help seeing that she was no longer a mere child, but wiser than her age would account for. She kept foolishly whispering to the servants, however, sometimes that the princess was not right in her mind, sometimes that she was too good to live, and other nonsense of the same sort. All this time, Curdie had to be sorry, without a chance of confessing, that he had behaved so unkindly to the princess. This perhaps made him the more diligent in his endeavors to serve her. His mother and he often talked on the subject, and she comforted him and told him she was sure he would some day have the opportunity he so much desired. Here, I should like to remark, for the sake of princes and princesses in general, that it is a low and contemptible thing to refuse to confess a fault or even an error. If a true princess has done wrong, she is always uneasy until she has had an opportunity of throwing the wrongness away from her by saying, I did it, and I wish I had not, and I am sorry for having done it. So you see, there is some ground for supposing that Curdie was not a minor only, but a prince as well. Many such instances have been known in the world's history.